I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening. Welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. My name is Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. Today we're finally going to talk about Al-Razi, or his full name was Muhammad ibn Zakaria Razi. He's also known in the West as Razis or Razis um, and was often you know, quoted as a very famous alchemist under those names. Uh, so he lived from 865 to 925 and was one of our Persian Muslim alchemists like everybody we've talked to so far that fits in that, in that boat. He's a polymath. A, he's also a prominent figure in Islamic in the kind of golden age. He was a physician, alchemist, chemist even, philosopher, scholar. Um, He had a lot of kind of firsts in medical research especially, like clinical care. Um, A lot of chemical things are attributed to him, including being the first to differentiate smallpox from measles. So he described both those diseases. And the discovery of numerous compounds and chemical, like chemicals including alcohol, kerosene, and many others. Uh, Razi made uh, fundamental and enduring contributions in the fields of medicine, as you said, Travis, and alchemy, music, and philosophy were just some of the few, Uh, recorded over 200 books and articles in various fields of science. He's well-versed in ancient Persian, Greek, and ancient Indian medical knowledge, and made numerous advances in in medicine through um, observations and discoveries, like any good scientist. He was able to take, take a look at something, observe it, and see if he can find out what made it tick. Um, talk about his education. He was educated in, in a variety of, of, of disciplines, including music, mathematics, philosophy, and metaphysics. He chose medicine as profession uh, and, and really went with it as a physician, um, as an early proponent of experimental medicine, and had been described as the father of pediatrics and working with uh, young children. He was a pioneer in ophthalmology. He was the first to use humoralism uh, to distinguish one contagious disease from another. In particular, Razi was one of the first physici- physicians to distinguish smallpox, as you said, Travis, uh, from measles through the clinical characterization of two diseases. He became the chief physician of Ray and uh, Baghdad hospitals. Um, so, and we've mentioned both of those towns before. We so have. Yeah. He was the most important part to know this is that he was the top dog of the golden age of Persian Muslim uh, belief in knowledge. So mm-hmm. he was the guy. He also traveled extensively, mostly within Persia, and usually as a teacher of medicine. Uh, he attracted students from all disciplines and was said to be compassionate and devoted to the service of patients, like we mentioned, the kind of bed care. Uh, and what's important here is that he didn't really care if they were rich or poor. So he, he yeah. He the, the this poor. guy, he must have had a sense of empowerment to be... Um, just knowledgeable of everything that you could get your hands on. And um, we mentioned he's Persian, but he did write in Arabic. He wrote exclusively in Arabic. And he was born on the Silk Road passing city of Ray, which we've mentioned before, and that's why Al-Razi. After becoming a famous physician, he moved to Baghdad during Caliph Muktafi's reign, 
which was approximately the turn of the 10th century. And he held a position of chief director of a, of a hospital there. Uh, he was blind at one point. He kind of had an eye affliction, which started with cataracts and ended in, in total blindness, uh, according to some sources. And again, it's not sure why or, or how he was blinded exactly, but um, some say instead of cataracts, some say it was like a blow to the head. Uh, some say it was by his patron, Al-Mansur. Another claim was that it was because he ate too many beans. That'll do it. And I didn't just make that up. And another story says that he was he was beaten uh, like by by orders by a mullah who was offended by his work, and uh, that that guy's name was Al Havi. The beating was actually administered with the manuscript of the offending work. So take that next time you write some bad, bad documentation, you're getting your laptop upside the head. Another one, another legend said he could have been blinded by steaming vapors during an accident in one of his, his experiments. So, who knows, really? The end result was that he was completely blind he when was it was all said and done. Yeah. Now, there's another interesting anecdote here, is that there was one uh, physician that offered an ointment to cure his blindness, and Al-Razi then asked him, how many layers does the eye contain? Okay. And when that physician was unable to answer, he refused the, the ointment, saying, my eyes will not be treated by one who does not know the basics of its anatomy. One of his pupils from Tabaristan came to look after him, but according to Al-Biruni, he refused to be treated, saying that it was useless anyways because the hour of his death was approaching. And some days later, he died in Ray on the 27th of October, 925. And when we talk about medicine, there's a, there's a bunch, bunch of things to talk about. For instance, pharmacy and ethics of medicine but uh, why don't you like break down pharmacy, for instance? Well, Razi contributed in many ways to the early practice of pharmacy uh, by, by compiling the text that he found, in which he introduces the use of mercurial ointments and his development of apparatus such as mortars, flasks, spatulas, and files um, that were all used in pharmacies until the early 20th, 20th century. So yeah. um, he's got a reach all the way into this, the past century that we've, we've just uh, finished here. The ethics of medicine is something that is also attra- attached to his name. On a professional level, Rizzi introduced many practical and progressive medical and psychological ideas. He attacked charlatans and fake doctors who roamed from city to city and countryside to countryside selling their nostrums or their cures. At the same time, he warned that even highly educated doctors did not have the answers to all medical problems uh, and could not really cure all sicknesses or heal every disease, which was, humanly speaking, impossible. So he had a, a modesty about him to know that he did not know everything and others were fell in the same category. Um, I, I think one of the things that, that also kind of stands out here is that I think he could see a fraud for a fraud. And uh, at the time... You know, in pretty much any era, there's always somebody that's trying to sell you some snake oil, as we say back in the States, right? Yeah. Uh, to cure everything. And uh, I think he he called it for what it was uh, because he was a very learned man. Yeah, he he also had doubts about Galen. Who Galen is a you know very famous Greek physician that you know stands out among the, the crowd in the history of medicine. Like one, of the, one thing that Galen says is that you know, he, he claimed that, that Greek is a superior language. Al-Razi also doubts many of his cosmological and medical views in general. Al-Razi also links medicine with philosophy. So, that, you know, he says that, that a sound practice demands independent thinking. And we see this again and again. Like, you know, so you've got to break out of the molds. You've got to kind of, you know, think about things logically and not just 
believe everything you see in a textbook. For instance, he reports that Galen's descriptions do not agree with his own clinical observations. Uh, for instance, like, you know, the run of a fever, he's, he describes as being very different than what Galen says. In some cases, he finds that his own clinical experience exceeds Galen's, which was a very strong statement to make at that time. So Galen was really kind of a, you know, almost a, a mythical superhero in, in the field of medicine. He, con- he criticized Galen's theory of the humors, right? So that's, that's kind of an important one, and we've seen that elsewhere also. And, you know, so again, the, the four humors, which I describe elsewhere and on the website and everything is, you know, if you have the right balance, you're basically healthy. If you, all illness is caused by one of the imbalances of one of the four humors. He also he talked about the four elements. Uh, he criticized Aristotle's theory of the four elements, okay, which is what Galen's theory was, was based off of. Uh, Razi's own alchemical experiments suggested other qualities of matter such as oiliness or sulfurousness or inflammability and salinity, which were not readily explained by the traditional fire, water, earth, and air divisions of elements. So he noticed more aspects of matter than can be described by just those four, which is pretty interesting because um, that's kind of obvious to us. But back then, yeah, Aristotle was you know untouchable, more or less. So, so taking, taking a, a focus on his knowledge set he was looking at what others had contributed to the fields of medicine and philosophy and science in general and he crystallized this ancient ancient knowledge and to put it to, to be more manual to understand for a lot of people Rizzi believed that the contemporary scientists and scholars are are far better equipped more knowledgeable if you will uh, and more competent than the ancient ones that preceded them due to the accumulated knowledge of the at their disposal Rossi's attempt to overthrow blind acceptance to the unchallenged authority of ancient sages encouraged this and stimulated researchers and advanced the arts, technology, and sciences. So he was not a slave yeah. to saying, hey, we can't touch these, you know, these, these, these guys that, that preceded us. Uh, we, need to, we need to actually question them. We need to question their thoughts because we know more now. And take a look at this, that the fact that he was in the epicenter of Baghdad at the time, the scientific focal point of 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 the of this part of the world at the time the other thing that kind of really piques piques my interest here is his level of uh pediatrics uh the diseases of children was a focus that he he really put on and and razi was is considered the father of pediatrics in, in many respects for writing the diseases of children the first book to deal with pediatrics as an an as an independent field of medicine um i think you can probably see a lot of that because you can see uh, as a child grows up, he's he or she is forming new antibodies to maybe diseases that you would you know already see the consequences later in an adult. You would actually see the onset in children. So there probably was a lot a lot of scientific method used there as well. Yeah, another thing he he wrote about was mental health, and uh, like many other theorists at the time, he believed that mental illnesses were caused by demons. But the point he tried to make with this is pretty interesting because. Um, you know, it's like basically demon possession. So the point he tried to make was that this mental illness shows that it was outside of the control of the sufferer. So a lot of times people that were suffering from mental health were blamed for it. And to some extent, I mean, subconsciously, you know, society still does that, I guess. But, but um, you know, he, his point was that it's not their fault. You know, they can't help it. They're just, you know, they have some mental health issues. But that takes us to alchemy. Again, we mentioned he isolated chemical substances 
he produced many medications in, you know, actually produced the medicines and through kind of chemical or pharmacological means and described the, the laboratory apparatuses, which I mentioned. I mention that again because I, I love when people produce lab equipment, you know, a thousand years ago. But he wrote about the transmutation of metals, which puts him solidly in the sphere of alchemy. So his interest in alchemy and his, and his strong belief in the possibility of the transmutation of metals was written, was written on by Ibn Ad-Nadim's book, the, Philosoph the Philosopher's Stone, which in Latin was, you know, Lapis Philosophorum. Nadim attributes a series of 12 books to Razi, plus an additional seven, including his refutation to Al-Kindi's denial of the validity of alchemy. So some guy didn't like alchemy, and Razi defended alchemy. His best two alchemical texts, uh, which are Al-Asrar, The Secrets, and Sir Al-Asrar, The Secret of Secrets, which incorporates much of his previous work. So all these books we mentioned just a second ago. So he wrote these, these two books, which kind of summarizes everything. His contemporaries might have actually believed that he had obtained the secret of turning iron and copper into gold. So he had, he had quite the reputation. Al-Razi developed several chemical uh, instruments that uh, he helped in some of his studies and remain uh, in use to this, to this day even. Um, some of them are known as perfected methods of distillation, um, dis dismissed the idea of potions, and dispensed with magic, meaning that the reliance on symbols uh, are causes. His alchemical stockroom was enriched with products of Persian mining and manufacturing, even with sal ammoniac, uh, Chinese discovery. He relied uh, predominantly on the concept of dominant forms of essences, which is the Neoplatonic conception of, ca of ca causality rather than the intellectual approach uh, or the mechanical one, as we talked about in previous uh, podcasts, uh, that alchemy brings towards such uh, empiric qualities such as salinity and infallibility, and later associated with oiliness. Um, in his works that we discussed just a second ago, so he, he kind of came up with a scheme of classification of the substances, and that's really interesting because this, you know, is kind of a break from the four elements again. Um, he, he breaks down his knowledge with identification of drug components like of, of plant, animal, mineral origin, and the description of the best type of each for utilization and treatment. Obviously, the, we talked about the equipment and tools mentioned. He talks about the seven alchemical procedures and techniques. And this is, it comes up over and over again, but he was one to really delve into the, the kind of the sublimation, condensation of mercury, precipitation of sulfur and arsenic, calcination of metals and minerals, which we mention all the time, basically. The last category contains additionally a description of other methods and application used in transmutation, like the added mixture and use of solvent vehicles, the amount of heat, basically fire, used bodies and stones that can or cannot be transmuted into corporal substances such, such as metals and um, id salts, and the use of liquid mordant, which quickly and permanently colors lesser metals for more lucrative sale and profit, which we talked about, you know, here and there. That um, we talked about in Democritus uh, in that podcast, right? Yeah, we talked for, about exactly. making things like gold and, and maybe the color of gold for for other, like he mentions, for sale and profit, uh, you know, but for other reasons that maybe are not passed as charlatanism. Uh, yeah, but for it's, for it's, needed issues and it's, it's in the name of science. To, yeah. yeah, you want to color a metal gold, then this is how you do it. For instance, he gives methods of coloring a silver object to imitate gold, 
Um, he describes gold leafing, for instance, in that context. And the reverse technique of removing its color back to silver. Um, gilding and silvering of other metals like alum, calcium, salts, iron, copper are also described, as well as how colors will last for years without tarnishing or changing. Behind these procedures, one does not find any kind of deceptive motives or charlatanism, but it's really a straightforward, technical, and kind of economic deliberation. So he, you know, he says why he's doing it. He gives his motives. So, you know, to break that down just a little bit more, he talks about the quotation of market prices and the expressed triumph of artisan craftsmen or alchemists kind of declaring the results of their efforts to make it look exactly like gold. So he's not saying he's making gold. He's explicitly stating to make it look like gold. But there was another motive involved, which is to obviously create something resembling gold to be sold quickly to help good friends who happen to be in financial trouble. Hmm. Interesting. money fast? Yeah. <laughs> Call Al-Razi. <laughs> of interest in the text, Al-Razi classifies uh, minerals into six divisions, showing um, his discussion in a modern chemical connotation. For one, four spirits, mercury, sal ammoniac, sulfur, and arsenic sulfate, uh, would, would be the first one. S- the second one would be called seven bodies, which would, get, would be uh, uh, considered silver, gold, copper, iron, black lead, and zinc, and tin. Number three, 13 stones known as pyrite's marcasite, magnesia, malachite, tutty zinc oxide, talcum, lapis lazuli, gypsum, azurite, magnesia, as we mentioned before, hepatite, uh, <laughs> <laughs> iron oxide, arsenic oxide, mica and asbestos, and glass, then identified at the time as made of sand and alkali, transparent crystals known as damascene. Number four uh, on this list would be seven vitriols, would be known as alum, and white and white and black, red and yellow vitriols. Uh, green is also included in this list, uh, known as, as many as impure sulfurites of iron and copper, etc. Okay, number five, seven borates would be natron and impure sodium borate. Six, eleven salts, including brine, common salt, ashes, naphtha live lime and urine, rock and sea salts. He then separate, separately defines and describes each of these substances and their top choice, best colors and variation of adulterations. Yeah, I wouldn't call this a periodic table, but there's clearly a much more sophisticated classification here. Right? He's, he's really breaking down some, not only just base, base uh, elements and issues here, but he's going even further into certain yeah, things. I'll, I'll be a big, I'll admit to being a big, periodic table nerd um so do you want to admit that really yeah i'll i'll uh, i'll stand by do my you have it on your name. iphone right now i have a, i have a no well, but then. i have i have a book on the history of the periodic table okay is that a, is that a good read and this is <laughs> the periodic <laughs> put you to sleep no it's i well, is it awesome <laughs> depends on who you ask if you okay. ask me it was fascinating but um no it was it was well written it's called the disappearing spoon read it read it is required reading um but yeah, it is really interesting to see this huge quantum leap from the four elements to saying, no, these are, these are all, you know, these are not elements, what he's describing. Some of them are, some of them aren't. So, you know, some of these can be broken down further. 
But it is interesting to see that he, you know, he takes these natural occurring compounds and classifies them in a much more sophisticated way. And that kind of leads us to what you were talking about, uh, one of your faves in, in, in alchemy, which is the the apparatus, the apparatus, if you will, of of, uh, of measurements in alchemy, uh, and being able to take some some tools and uh, utilitarian sort of objects to be able to measure and make. Um, alchemy happen. And he, Al-Razi did this. Uh, he made a list that broke things into two different separate classes. Number one, instruments used in dissolving and melting metals, such as blacksmiths' hearths, bellows, crucibles, ladles, macerators, stirring rods, cutters, grinders, files, shears, uh, and, uh, semi-centricular iron molds. Um, there, the list goes on and on. He actually put this into this first category. The second category would go into utensils used to carry out the process of transmutation in various parts of distilling apparatus. Uh, that would be the, the retort, the alembic. We talked about the alembic yeah. a few mm-hmm. times, and we've seen this before. It's a, it's a large base, glass base, that narrows out into a into a, a slender sort of neck that it's peaks like the, out, yeah, with like a little, the like a bird yeah. beak at yeah. the top. Um, we use quite a bit in in uh, in, in this uh, type of research. Shallow iron pan, potter's kiln, and blowers, even large ovens, cylindrical stoves, glass cups, flasks, files, beakers. Basically, what you would see in a chemical high school lab, you would see a yeah. lot of this stuff in modern times. So I found this, you know, very very interesting that. Uh, he gave you the instruments to to follow what he was doing um, and broke them down. And what's great, what's great about this is that this gives us a historical knowledge set that these things were around at the time he was doing this experiment. So that you know that really kind of helps out to understand a little bit more of the alchemical sort of uh, background and legacy that that he provides. Yeah, the list goes on, but I think we get the idea in the Secret of Secrets, which is probably his most famous book. Especially, it got a lot of recognition in the West, and um, he gives a systematic kind of a, approach and, um, you know, to the basic chemical operations important to the history of pharmacy. That's pretty interesting. Now, we have Avicenna, who commented on um, Al-Razi, and Av- Avicenna is obviously important in his own right in the history of alchemy. Um, Avicenna was not a fan. He said he meddles in metaphysics and exceeds his competence. He should have remained confined to surgery and to urine and stool testing. Ouch. Wow. Indeed, he <laughs> exposed Jeez. himself and showed his ignorance in these matters. Um, that's, that's not a good, was, not a good report. Al-Ghazali that was talking smack on Avi's henna? Yeah, so see, these guys didn't of, like each other, man. Yeah. I, I think it's ego on we, ego. We see that in Europe, too, like Paracelsus talking smack on everybody. Yeah, and, and but, you can see it here. That's, that's what this is. But uh, to give a couple nice. of quotes about Razi, and these are um, modern quotes that I, that I dug up here and there. Razi was the greatest physician of Islam in the medieval ages. That was George Sarton. Razis remained up to the 17th century the indisputable authority of medicine. That's a pretty good statement. His writings on smallpox and measles show originality and accuracy, and his essays on infectious diseases was the first scientific treatise on the subject. There you go. That's from from the World Health Organization. From who? Yeah. Yeah, in 1970 they said that. Um, In today's world, we tend to see scientific advance as the product of great movements, massive grant-funded projects, and larger-than-life socioeconomic forces. It is easy to forget, therefore, that many contributions stemmed from the individual efforts of scholars like Razis. Indeed, pharmacy can trace much of his, 
of its historical foundations to the singular achievements of this 9th century Persian scholar. That was Michael E. Flannery. So, I mean, t today there's modern day, like there's the Razi Institute in Tehran, Razi University in Kermanshah, and um, Razi Day even, or Pharmacy Day, is commemorated in Iran every August 27th. And Travis, you and I have talked about this before. You've actually had a some listener mail have come in and said, hey, when are you going to do something on Al-Razi? How can you leave out Al-Razi? Um, and, and that's interesting. And it's a little bit sad because um, in the scientific realm, this is not just you know alchemy we're talking about here, even though it's a focus and a focal point. But there seems to be a lot that Al-Razi has, has given to science in general and the medical discoveries that is basically goes untouched in Western thought. And so yeah. you know, until we, you brought this up as, as a possible podcast topic, I never heard of him. And, and so th there's, there's a lot of people that, that you know, study pharmacy, pharmaceutical issues. They study pediatrics. And I bet you He's there actually, might be just a little bit of a, of, of a blurb in their books about him, but not much. But in, yeah. in, in, in the uh, Middle East, in, in Persia area, we're talking uh, he, he is a rock star. There will be an episode on the History of Philosophies podcast about him. Which, um, or maybe it's already published, I don't know, but I haven't listened to it yet. And uh, I can't wait because that's obviously the philosophical part of this man. And um, yeah, I wonder what he'll have to say about him because it's kind of, you know, less the, maybe the hands-on approach in the lab, which is, which is what our what, focus what is. What we like so right. much, yeah. Um, and more kind of his philosophical teachings and uh, that, that sort of thing. So that'll be interesting to listen to and, and, if you're interested about Al-Razier, I definitely would recommend – well, I'd recommend that podcast in general. But yeah, especially that episode. Well, this was fun. It was. Yeah. That was uh, – I think that was, that was an interesting guy to look up. So yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.